Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Good morning, good morning. You guys look amazing. You sounded awesome this morning. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you got up on this cold and dreary, wintry Sunday to come and be with us. You know, I think Pastor Trevor had told me that it had rained like seven Sundays in a row. And so today it wasn't actually raining. It was just miserably bone-chillingly cold. But man, we're so glad that you're here. You guys look, you sound amazing. And you heard it just a second ago. But to those of you that have been kind of a part of our prayer and fasting, let me just say again exactly what he said. I'm proud of you. I'm thankful for you. I know we're 14 days in. Today's day 15. And, uh, and so if you have been fasting, maybe for the first time ever, stick with it. You're doing awesome. You're doing great. You're in the home stretch here. And, uh, and so you got one more week. I was talking to a friend of mine last night uh, who, who's fasting as well. And uh, we were talking. He said, you know, the first 14 days seem to have flown by. But he said, to think that there's seven more seems like an eternity. Um, and so maybe that's how you feel. Maybe you're just itching to get back on Facebook or Instagram, maybe to, to eat meat or protein or to do something else that you've been fasting. Let me just say, stick to it. You got it. Seven more days. You're going to make it. I'm proud of you. And if you haven't been with us, come and join us. Maybe just one or two of the mornings this week, some powerful moments of prayer. Be with us next Saturday as we conclude that. And then next Sunday, you heard the baptism. Register for that, the night of worship. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. I'm excited about what God's doing during these 21 days. So here's the question. I want you, this is an all skate here. I need everybody to respond. You Raise your hand here if this is something that's true of you. How many of you have ever tried to put together a piece of furniture you purchased at Ikea? Anybody? Okay, you can put your hands down. If you've not purchased furniture at I- Ikea, um, how many of you have ever put together any item that said something like, some assembly required? Anybody want to put that together? So, so, so you've had the experience that I've had, where when it says some assembly required, what it actually means is none of this is put together yet. That's really what it means. Uh, a few years ago, uh, we, we bought something for Christmas for the kids, and uh, it just said some assembly required. And, uh, and about 3 a.m. on Christmas Eve, I just thought, forget it. They're not getting it for Christmas. It's not going to happen. Uh, we're, we're not doing it. We'll break their hearts, but I'm, I can't. I, there's nothing else I can do. I have no more fingers left. I've rubbed everything down to the nub, and I'm done with this. Uh, but no, Corey and I, we, we've purchased some stuff from Ikea uh, before, and, and uh, we, we, you know, we go to put it together. And when I was a younger man, and I would do things differently than I do now. I've aged and matured and, and much more mature now than I used to be. Um, but I used to um, walk through Ikea before we bought the item, and I would take a picture of what it looked like finished so that when I got home, I wouldn't have to read the instructions. It was kind of like a puzzle. I would just look at the front of the box. You know how you do that with like the 500-piece puzzle? You just look at the box. You go, okay, well, that's a bunch of flowers. And then you start putting colors together and pieces that look like they go together and they fit together. And so I would pull out the Ikea instructions and I would start like looking through this and I'd go, well, I don't, I don't, they have weird names, you know, like you, you thought you bought a coffee table, but it was actually a billy goat or something like you, you have those. And I don't, I don't speak Swiss or Dutch or German or whatever Ikea is. And so like I would look at these and I would go, I, I'm not doing that. And I would just look back at the picture that I had taken when I walked through Ikea and I would just try to make mine end up looking like theirs. And yeah, I mean, sure, when I got to the end, there were leftover screws and pieces, but they put extras in the box. I mean, that's what they do. And so you know that. And so, you know, like if you stay at our house and you sleep in the bed downstairs, it's fine. It's just that one side that's a little wobbly 
but it's fine. You just got to lean to the right the whole night. No big deal. It's totally fine. But as I've aged and matured, now I, I, I do things much differently. Now I actually take out the instructions, and I follow the instructions to it. Another upside down right now. But they, I follow the instructions to it. They've got, they've got all these pictures that you, and, it, and it, I, I can't figure out who's making the instruction manual. But here's what I figured out. They want to be very, very clear about what's happening here. So it takes them four steps for you to identify the screw, put the screw in your right hand, put the screw in the hole, and then screw the screw in, right? So it takes a lot. And, you know, you, you thought it was a coffee table, but it's really just your 20s is really how long it takes to put together some of these items. And so I would get confused, but they want you to follow the instructions so that it ends up like the, the finished product is supposed to end up. And so I, I've tried to do that. But it's not just putting together furniture where you're supposed to follow the instructions. I mean, also like in childhood, you're supposed to follow instructions. Any, any amens from any parents in the room? Okay, that's fine. That's just me. Okay, maybe I'm just venting and working through some stuff today. But like, I, I want my kids to follow instructions. And, and the, the problem is that my children are having to learn the lesson right now that even partial obedience is disobedience. And so, like, if I give instructions, I want you to follow it to the letter of the law. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, again, I'm just working through some stuff. But I remember when I was a child, I remember my parents saying some crazy stuff to me. Like, maybe it was just my parents. But I remember my parents asking me to do some stuff. And when, when I would walk out of the room, I'd be like, what? Like, I remember one time, and this is going to shock you, especially those that know me well. This is going to shock you. But the thing that I got in trouble the most for when I was a child was running my mouth. Uh, I know, I know, that's shocking. I've matured and aged so well, but, um, but running my mouth. And, and so my mom, the phrase that she would use to call me, at least what I can call it in church, is a smart aleck, is what she would call me. You're being a smart aleck, is what she would, and I was like, no, my name's Jeremy. And she would say, see, right, you're being a smart aleck, is what she would call me. And so I remember one time, when my mom, I was kind of running my mouth, and I remember one time that it was time for bed, and so my mom was trying to get me to do what she wanted me to do at the end of that day, and so she said, Jeremy, shut your mouth and go brush your teeth. And I wanted to say something so bad, but I decided not to because I did not want to get my first 17-year-old spanking. I just didn't. I just felt like I just felt like that would be inappropriate. And so I went upstairs and I was hoping she'd walk by because I was kind of doing this. You know, try but like it's tough sometimes to be fully obedient. I, I've still never figured out how to shut my mouth and brush my teeth, but it's it's tough sometimes to be fully obedient, to to really follow all of the instructions that you're given. And so as we continue today in this series called 11, I want us to look at the story of a man who was called to a great level of obedience. Two weeks ago, we started this series called 11 out of Hebrews chapter 11, and we looked at the story of Abraham. Then last week, we looked at his wife, a lady by the name of Sarah. We've looked at this idea of the faith to give things up and the faith to believe. And so today, I want us to look at the story of a man named Noah and the faith to obey. Now, the reality of this story is that many of you know the story of Noah. 
And so a lot of times when we start a Bible story, if you're familiar with it, you just go ahead and flip to the end of the story. You know how it turns out. So I'm going to ask you this morning just to kind of hang with me in this story and not to flash forward to the end, not to think about how the story ends, not to think about what happened. I just want you to kind of live with me moment to moment, word to word, phrase to phrase in this story of Noah so that we can kind of follow along and see what we might learn today. This is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. It says this, by faith, Noah when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with the faith. Now, when I read this, I come to the realization that fear often keeps us from being obedient. If you really think about it, when we're talking about the Lord asking us to do something, or maybe a boss asking us to do something, oftentimes the thing that keeps us from being fully obedient is fear. John Acuff, who, who's an author and a, a business writer and really self-help, personal kind of writing, he, he writes about this idea in, in his book, Finish, which really is confronting why we don't finish the things that we start. Why don't we keep our New Year's resolutions? Why don't we continue uh, with our budget? Why don't we stick to our diets? And so he's confronting this idea of why don't we finish things that we start? And he says that one of the reasons that we don't finish is that we buy into the illusion of perfection. The illusion of perfection. What we say when we start out is, I'm going to run every day. That's our, that's our goal. That's our New Year's resolution. I'm going to read my Bible every morning. I'm going to save 10% of my paycheck every paycheck. And so because we've given absolute terms, the first morning that we hit the snooze button and we don't go for the run, the first day that we don't read our Bible first thing, and then the day gets busy and we don't finish our Bible reading plan for that day, and so we don't do it, or the first week that we get our paycheck and we need to spend it on something, or maybe it's just frivolous spending, but we don't save that 5 or 10% that we've set out to, we just throw our hands up and we go, see, there's no way I could do it, I'm done, I give up. And the illusion of perfection keeps us from continuing on and just waking up the next day and going, well, I'm going to start a new streak today. I'm just going to decide today that I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to exercise today. And we try to do it the next day and the next day. And, and my promise to you is that if you don't buy into the illusion of perfection, in the end of it all, you will have read your Bible more than you did last year. You will have saved more than you did before. You will have exercised more than you did the year before because you just decide I'm going to do it today and you just make that commitment today. But it's the, it's the fear that so often keeps us from finishing what we started or from being fully obedient. Now, now fear is another thing that Acuff talks about in his book. He talks about what motivates people. And he asks this question, what motivates you? Is it fear or reward? Fear or reward. There are really just two kinds of people in the world. And if you really like, dive deep into your soul, what is your motivation when you are asked to do something? When your boss asks you to do something on your job, if they say, hey, I want you to manage this project, I want you to do this thing, if you are asked by the Lord to do something big, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I need you to do this, what is your motivation for doing that? Are you afraid that your boss is going to fire you if it doesn't get done, so you try to work really hard to finish it? Are you afraid that he may call you out or she may call you out in the next staff meeting if it's not done to the, to the perfection that you think that they desire? Or are you thinking, hey, if I do this, I might get a raise. I, if I do this, I might get a promotion. If I do this, they may affirm me in the staff meeting. So often, if we just go all the way down to our soul level, we are motivated by fear or reward. 
And so when I think of the story of Abraham, not of Abraham, that was a couple weeks ago, who I think I called Abraham Lincoln in that message. So if you caught that, I apologize. I don't really know. So um, here's the deal. When I think about the story of Noah, I think about the fact that Noah actually said that he was motivated by fear. Actually, the writer of Hebrews characterized that his motivation for this was fear. Throw that scripture back up there, guys. I didn't tell him we were going to do this, but Hebrews 11, it said this. It said, in holy fear, he built an ark. So, so often it is fear that motivates us, but what's the difference in the kind of fear that keeps us from being obedient and the kind of fear that causes us to be obedient? Now, it's not a fear of the Lord that would actually be that we're afraid of God, that if we don't do it, he's going to be Zeus up there on the, on the, chair, the throne throwing lightning bolts at us and, and condemning us to hell. That, that's not the kind of fear we're talking about. In holy fear, that phrase in the original text goes back to a word that's really translated as respect or awe. So there's an awe of the Lord. There's a respect of who God is. And so Noah here is saying, hey, out of respect, out of, out of awe and reverence of who God is, I am motivated to be obedient towards God for the things that God is asking me to do. But for you and I so often, it's not holy fear that keeps us from being obedient. It's that other kind of fear, the fear of what people will think about us, the fear of what it will cost us. The fear that maybe this doesn't make sense and people are going to think we're crazy or maybe we'll even think we're a little bit crazy or some other type of fear. But that's, that's not what motivated Noah here as he actually built an ark. This story originally is found in Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8. This is early in the entire Bible, early in the book of Genesis. After the, the creation of man and the early family there, we see the lineage and the, 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 the descendants there, and we see all that kind of played out through the end of Genesis chapter 5 until we get to Noah. And then we see that Noah had three sons, and then in Genesis chapter 6, it begins to unpack the story about how the earth had gotten in really bad shape. Everybody was just doing their own thing. There was a lot of wickedness and unrighteousness. There was violence and pestilence everywhere that you looked on the face of the earth at that time. And so God looks down, and here's what he says, beginning in Genesis 6, verse 12. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Go make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch, which is like a mud tar substance. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits, the breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with a lower and second and third deck. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, and of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Look at verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Now, when I read through that, I recognize that this is a tough story for some of us to stomach. 
Not because of the building of the ark, but because of the context of what's happening here and what God is actually saying. God is telling Noah, because of how bad the earth has gotten, I'm going to destroy the earth and everyone on it. And so he says to Noah, he says, Noah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a boat. Now, Here's, here's the thing, and maybe you, you, you recognize this, maybe you've heard it preached before, maybe you've heard me say it before, maybe you've, maybe you've read this and you understood it for yourself. Up until this time on the earth, a boat would have been a new creation. Th- there would not have been boats yet because it was going to be a protection from the rain, and it had never rained yet. And so for God to say to Noah, I want you to build a boat, Noah's like, great, that's awesome. What's a boat? He's like, well, it's the thing that's going to protect you when it rains. He was like, sweet, what's rain? So for you and I to put ourselves in the situation where Noah found himself, it would be like God literally asking you to do the craziest possible thing that you can imagine. Now, I don't know what that would be, but if God were to speak to you today and say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build a spaceship in your backyard. Now, here's the difference. You and I have seen spaceships. We know that spaceships can be built. I mean, we probably could find plans for a spaceship on the internet, and while it might be expensive and it might take us a while, it's not so outside the realm of possibility for us to go, well, I mean, that's kind of crazy, but okay. But if God said, I want you to, to make in your backyard a floating pizza that you'll live inside and save all of humanity... What? Is that the fasting talking? I mean, like, what am I, what am I actually, it's got to be something so outrageous that you and I can't even comprehend how it would be possible. And yet, that's what God is asking Noah to do. He says, I want you to build a boat, and I want you to use that to protect your family so that when I destroy the earth, mankind can be saved. And then God gives Noah these specific instructions, and he gives him a list of people who are to come on the boat with him. He says, when you go on, don't go by yourself. Bring your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. And I don't know, a few years ago when I was reading this passage, it occurred to me, like, why did the sons' wives get to get on the boat? Because they were just connected to the right people. And so I I started thinking, like, God, who might you desire to save, and you want to use their relationship with me to deliver their salvation? Not because I'm a preacher that stands on the stage. I'm talking about you and me as followers of Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ in the room, I believe with all of my heart that there are people in your life that God wants to save, and he wants to use their relationship with you to get his salvation to them. That's what I believe. It's just that they were connected to the right people. They just happened to marry the three sons of Noah, and so when God tells Noah, build a boat, and when you get done building the boat, go get you a bunch of animals, and make sure your wife and your sons and your sons' wives get on the boat with you. So let me just kind of put something in front of you for a second before I continue. Here at Canton Church, we're building a boat. Canton Church is not a structure. It's not a building. It's not even just a group of people. It is a lifeboat for the people that you and I know. 
for some of them, it's the only way they're ever going to recognize and to see the love of God. That's why when we say in our weekly email or we say in our services or we say in some other venue, hey, bring your friends, be a bringer. Bring your friends or your family members. We're asking you to be the connection to their lifeboat. We're asking you to get them into an environment where the love of God can be expressed and they can experience the power and the presence of God so that they would recognize maybe there's something in my life that I'm missing and I need to connect to the God who created me. We're building a boat here. Who do you know? Who do I know? That outside of God, like their lives are headed right now towards destruction. Left to their own devices, they're they're headed for a mess. They're far from God. And what if your obedience literally saved their life? I've told this story before, but when I was in college, I, um, I, I drove a Volkswagen Jetta. It was still my favorite car I've ever owned. And uh, it smelled like pizza because I delivered pizzas while I was a college student. I couldn't get the smell out of the seats, the cloth seats. When I sold the car, I just sold it as a pizza delivery car. Like, that's the only selling point it had at that point. <laughs> but I, uh, I, I, so I was comfortable driving around. Well, one day I was on my way to work, but I was still going to be a little bit early. And so I stopped to grab some dinner. Now, often, because I was a poor college student, I would just get a pizza from you know, the store, when somebody ordered the wrong pizza or they, they sent it back or we, we made too many pepperonis or whatever, they, they would let us take, you know, take one of those home or whatever. And so I would get to do that. And so that saved me some money. But on this day, like it was going to be a long shift and I didn't know when I'd get to eat. And so I stopped at Arby's. Now, again, I, I, if you're fasting, I apologize. If you're, fa- if you're doing the Daniel fast, like I get it. Arby's has the meats and you haven't eaten meat in 14 days. Like I get, I am so sorry. That's where I went. I can't lie. Okay. So I went to Arby's and so um, when I walked in, I ordered my food, and I went and sat down by myself at this table. And, and when I sat down, I was eating, and I looked up, and there was a guy in the restaurant eating by himself, kind of looking back at me. And I, you know, I just kind of ignored him a little bit, but I kind of gave that nod like, I see you, but I'm not saying anything, like, you know what I'm saying? So I, I gave that a little bit, and I put my head down, and I just kept eating. And, and then I looked back up, and he was staring right at me. And I thought, like, bro, eat. Like, what are you doing? But I thought, well, I'm looking at him, too, so maybe he's having the same internal conversation in his head about this guy that keeps looking at him. And so I just looked back down. I started to eat my my food. And then I tried to look without getting caught looking. Like, is this guy (laughs) staring at me? Do I know him? And so I just, you know how you do? You kind of scan the whole restaurant, but you're really just trying to check. Okay, yeah, 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 he's still looking at me. This is weird. And so I ate in a hurry to try to finish because in that moment, I, I felt the Lord say to me, get up and go talk to him. I thought, no way. I'm in Arby's. This is not what you do at Arby's. You do this in like the lobby of a church. No, God, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And so I was trying to finish eating and I felt the Lord say, go talk to him. And I was like, no, I'm not doing it. You ever had this kind of conversation with God in a public place? You're trying to make sure you have that conversation in your head and you don't start talking to yourself out loud? God, I'm not doing it. So I finish. I get all my stuff together. And I decided there was a trash can very close to his table. But in my full-on disobedience, I'm going to go to the trash can on the opposite side of the restaurant from him. And so I took the long way around 
And I go to dump my trash, and I had turned my back to him. And when I get there, he beat me to the trash can. And he's holding up that little swingy thing, you know? And so he's holding it up for me. He doesn't say anything. I don't say anything, but I'm having this battle in my head. God's like, he's right there. Just say something to him. And I'm like, no, stop it. (laughs) And so I dump my trash in, and my car was parked on this side, but I decided there's a door close to me. I'm just going to go out the door as fast as I can. So I go out the door, hoof it around the back of the restaurant to get to my car. And when I get there, I put my key in the door, and I look up, and he's parked right next to me, looking right at me. And God is like, say something to him. So I pulled the little lever on my door, and I get into my car, And I looked over one more time, and he's looking at me. And the Lord said, this is your shot. Just get out of your car and walk over to his window and just say something. And I put my key in the ignition, and I cranked the car, and I backed out, and I drove away. Now, for the last two decades, I have thought about that guy because it was obvious in that moment what God was asking me to do. It's not always that clear, but I knew what God was asking me to do in that moment. And I don't know if I was supposed to talk to him for him or for me. I don't know if I got over there and had a conversation, if I was going to lead him to the Lord or he was going to give me $10,000. I don't know if he just needed a friend. I don't know if he left that restaurant in utter despair. And the whole time I'd been questioning God, he had just been asking God for somebody to say something to him. Or if God was saying to him, go talk to that guy. And he disobeyed too. But I know what it feels like to be disobedient. When you clearly hear the Lord's voice saying, do this now. I don't live with a lot of regrets, but that's one. And maybe you would say, well, that's crazy. I got way worse regrets than that. But I don't know what I missed. I I, I don't know what I missed. I'm not sure what God may have done in the next 60 or 90 seconds after I just said, hey, how you doing? Hey, hope you have a great day. And opened up, I don't know what God may have done. I just know God asked me, and I said no. But in the story of Noah, what we just read is that Noah did all that God asked him to do. Not just part of what God asked him. He did all of what God asked him to do. In fact, over these next three chapters, there are five specific times that we see that Noah did all that God asked him to do. Noah did everything as the Lord commanded. Noah did it because the Lord commanded. And think about what God actually asked him to do. I'm not just talking about a boat that he didn't know what a boat was because of rain that he didn't know what rain was. I'm talking about the specific instructions. He's like, Noah, what I want you to do is I want you to build a boat and and I want you to make it 300 cubits long. And so Noah, I'm assuming Noah's taking notes. 
Because it would take 120 years to build the ark. So I'm, I mean, I'm thinking, he's old. He'd forget some of this. So he starts writing it down on his little pad, and he goes, okay, 300 cubits. If you're not familiar with a cubit, it's about the length of your forearm, about 18 inches. So 300 cubits is 5,400 inches, 450 feet. We're talking about a football field and a half. You've got to have a pretty back, big backyard to build that in your backyard, 150 yards long. He says, and then what I want you to do is I want you to make it 50 cubits wide. So 50 cubits wide, if we're starting to do the math, we're saying, okay, 18 inches. And so we're trying to, okay, so 900 inches. And so we're trying to, we got the, we're talking here about 25 yards wide. He says, I want you to make it 30 cubits tall. Okay, well, I'm doing the math. Okay, so God, you want me to make it 45 feet tall, 15 yards tall. Like, God, this is early in the book of Genesis. We don't have ladders that big yet. Like, that comes later, like in Deuteronomy or something. I, like, we don't even have, like, I don't know. Like, that's tall. He says this. He says, I want you to make it with a lower deck. Like, it can't be simple plans. You know what I'm talking We're building a cruise ship now. A lower deck and a second deck and a third deck. And on the inside of it, I want you to make tar, pitch, mud. And I want you to cover all 150 yards this way and all 25 yards this way and all 15 yards this way. I want you to cover every square inch on the inside of it with, with tar. Noah did all that the Lord had commanded. I know me. Can I just be honest with you? If God gives me those instructions, I'm like, how would you feel about 200 cubits long? Like, I feel like if I get my boys, like, involved, we, we could knock this out in a shorter amount of time than 120. That's a long time, Lord. Like, what if we just put pitch on the lower decks where the water may come in? We keep it airy on the top. Like, we just let the, the wind blow. He says, I want you to bring two of every kind. Really? Lord, you want me to bring termites onto a wooden vessel? I don't... Are, there, there's a loose connection here, God. I don't feel like... We don't get any of that in the story of Noah. We don't get any of that. Noah did all that the Lord commanded. Noah did everything that God asked him to do. And here's why that's important. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says this. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. Look at this. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight people, were brought safely through the water. Now this passage in 1 Peter connects the saving of mankind through Christ to the saving of mankind through Noah and the ark. And so there's a connection here between Jesus and Noah and the salvation of water baptism and the representation of what water baptism looks like, looks like. Next Sunday when we experience that, we see people, they will go under the water and they will come back. And we don't believe that that's what saves them. We believe that's the representation of God killing off that old life, that old sinful nature, and they come alive in Jesus Christ. And there's a connection here between water baptism and the water of the flood. And I would love to unpack all of this, but here's what I want us to really focus on. God gave Noah the instructions to build the ark at the same time he condemned the world. He said, here's what we're going to do. Everything in the world is broken. We're going to start over. 
but we're going to start over with you because you're righteous and blameless. And I believe if I give you instructions, you will do all that I'm asking you to do. He says, but in the end, when you get on the ark and you take your wife and your sons and your son's wives and you take these animals onto the ark, after that, I'm going to send a flood and I'm condemning the entire world. And then God waited patiently while Noah built the ark. Now, so often, especially those who are not in relationship with Jesus Christ, so often the story of Noah is one of the hang-up stories. It's one of the stories where we don't ascribe to God's patience. We actually describe it to his wrath. We actually connect the, the flood to God's judgment and his justice and his violence. And, but right, what we recognize here is that God waited somewhere between 80 and 120 years to bring judgment. He allowed that bad stuff to continue and to multiply and to get worse and worse and worse for 80 to 120 years while Noah just kept building the boat in his backyard. And we look around in our world right now and we go, man, there's so much mess going on and you're right, there is. There's so much violence and unrighteousness going on and you're right, there is. And we say, God, why don't you step in and do something? And the reality is God has already told us what he's going to do. God said, I have to punish unrighteousness. There will come a point where I actually have to step in and say enough is enough. And I've got to punish wickedness. But in the meantime, I believe God is calling me and you as followers of Jesus Christ to build a boat big enough for everybody that we know who's far from God to find life in Jesus Christ so that they can be saved. And I said a couple weeks ago, like, we want God to do a new thing. God, speak a new word. God, give me a new vision. Give me a new revelation. And what if God is just waiting on you to obey what he already told you before he tells you something new? So he's like, no, just build the boat. Just build the boat. Just build the boat. Don't, don't, don't question me. Don't, don't start making your own edits to the, to the, like, just do all that I've asked you to do. And I recognize today some of you are like, well, if it was that clear, if God spoke to me that clear, I would do it. And I would say to you, he does. The first time I picked up a piece of plans from Ikea, I didn't even know where to start. I didn't even... Okay, there's a one. I think I start at one. No, that's a different language. That's the end, right? I don't even know where to go. But now when I pick it up, I've got a pretty good idea how to, how to start and what to follow and what their diagrams mean. Can I tell you the same thing is true when I picked up God's word for the first time? I didn't, I didn't know where to start. I just started doing the parachute reading, like open sesame, grain offerings. I don't, what am I supposed to do with that? But it was the consistent, every day, every other day, three times a week, start small, don't buy into the illusion of perfection. Not everybody in this room reads their Bible an hour every single day. You're not the only one that struggles sometimes to get up early to do devotions or quiet time. You're not the only one that gets busy during the day and sometimes falls asleep and go, oh man, I forgot to read my Bible today. I'll do it tomorrow. But it's that consistency, reading God's word, learning his voice, listening to his instruction, that we learn what God is saying to us.
It's the consistency of coming and being together in God's house, being in his presence, singing songs. The first time they throw a new song up on the screen, you're like, I don't know this song. But then the second time, it's a little more familiar. And the third time, you're singing it with all your heart. And you're actually signing your name to like a gift card that somebody else wrote to God. And you said, God, this is the way I feel too. You just stay in it. You don't argue back. You just do all that God is commanding you to do. And it's not just so you get to be obedient. It's because we're building a boat. It's because there's people we know that that they're going to die. And they're going to spend eternity apart from God. Just as we would have. But somebody somewhere showed us the way in. It's not through works. It's not through being good enough. It's through a man named Jesus. And the question today for all of us is where is God being patient so you can be obedient? Where is God being patient right now in your life so you can be obedient? So you can build a boat. Don't let fear hold you back. You don't think Noah got made fun of? By his own boys. I got three sons. If I told them we're building something in our backyard, they're going to go, can we call some people to help us? Because, Dad, you can't. You can't do this. I'd be like, well, I mean, this is what God said we're supposed to do. He's going to help us. Let's do all that God commanded us to do. Because we know some people that need to be saved. And what if your obedience is what God uses to save them? I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody looking around, if you would say to me today, Jeremy, for me, I'm one of those people that needs to be saved. I'm outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I desperately need him to save me. I need him to forgive my sins. I need him to be the Lord of my life, and I want that to happen today. If God's patience is all that's waiting, but he's got to bring judgment at some point, I, I, I'm going to be judged, and I know I'm going to be found guilty. And so today, I want, to, I want to ask him to forgive my sins. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now, if you would say to me today, Jeremy, for me, I just want to be obedient. I, I just want to faithfully do what God's asking me to do. I just want to make sure that, like, even if it sounds crazy, even if I'm afraid, that I do all that God commands me to do. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? God, I thank you today for everyone in this room, everyone who may be listening later, podcast. God, I pray today for those who recognize their need for you and acknowledge that today by asking you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. Thank you for the hands that were lifted in this service today, God. I ask you now to do that supernatural work of forgiving sins. And God, would you be their Lord and Savior? God, we welcome them into the family of God. We ask you now to give them the strength to boldly walk out of this place knowing that they are a son and daughter of God. God, now I pray for every person that lifted their hand asking you to help them to be obedient, to be fully obedient. Partial obedience is disobedience. So God, help us to be fully obedient to you today. Whatever that looks like, whatever you're asking us to do, maybe we know or maybe we're not completely sure. God, let us lean into your word, lean into your instruction, lean into your presence. God, would your voice as we learn it be crystal clear in our lives 
And God, would you just help us to be obedient toward you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.